Hi, welcome to the Transforming Spaces podcast by Gendered Intelligence. My name's Annie and my pronouns are she or they. And I'm Frankie and my pronouns are he, him. In this podcast, we'll be running through some of the talks delivered at the Transforming Spaces conference in 2018. Gendered Intelligence is a charity organisation. In fact, they've just reached uh, their charitable status, so whoop whoop for Gendered Intelligence. They're an organisation that works to increase understandings of gender diversity and help improve the lives of all trans people. Our vision is of a world where people are no longer constrained by narrow perceptions and expectations of gender, and where diverse gender expressions are visible and valued. If you're interested in uh, supporting gendered intelligence or to find out more about our youth work, volunteer scheme, educational and professional services, please visit genderedintelligence.co.uk or follow us on our Twitter at genderintel. This episode is about toilets. We have three speakers in this talk. They'll firstly be giving us some of the context around the fascination of trans people in toilets and then they'll be going into giving some community and architectural solutions around this toilet question. Our speakers in this episode are Francis Ray White, Senior Lecturer in Sociology at the University of Westminster, Cara English, Founder of Open Labs and Policy Engagement Officer and Research Coordinator at Gendered Intelligence. Then we have Irina Kornuchuk, who is an architect at Faulkner Browns, and the panel is hosted by Jason Barker. To toilets! That's our time for toilets. Um, so, my, my job, I work um, for Gendered Intelligence as a trainer, and we go around to different organisations and deliver training packages. And it's been interesting, I've been doing this for about maybe four years. And there seems to me to be this kind of distant memory of this peaceful time when I would go into organisations and I would talk about trans inclusion and I would get to this point about toilets and, and I would say, and, and I would maybe have just spoken about the Equality Act and I would talk about toilets, it was all really straightforward and really matter of fact that people go to the toilet that they would like to go to. It just seemed to be really easy. And then news started coming through from America and it was trickling through and I was starting to read things about bathroom bills. And I remember the first session that I went into, after some of that news had come through, and I went into a session in a school and I was talking about toilets and somebody put their hand up and they said, what about the rights of everybody else to go to the toilet? And it floored me because I was thinking, you're talking about me. You're talking about me. You're talking about me and the people that I know. Where's this coming from? And now every time when I'm doing my presentations and I'm talking to different groups, I reach a certain point in the presentation and I announce it with, and here we go, welcome to the flashpoint of trans inclusion, where it all kicks off. We're talking toilets and changing rooms. And then we talk about it. And I'm constantly thinking, what we have is not working. We're not, it's not working, and I'm really interested, and I'm, I'm fascinated with this, because I feel like this is also, we're talking about toilets, and we can sort of dismiss it and say, that's oh, just where we go, and you know, whatever. But, it's more than that, and we're talking about access to spaces. If I can't go to the toilet in a venue, in a situation, then I can't go to that venue. If I can't go to the toilet, if I'm not comfortable going to the toilets on the station platform, and I'm waiting for the train to come in so that I can go to the toilet, 
that makes me feel uncomfortable, but then it's more serious. Sometimes I might have to, and this is me, I might have to rule out certain places I don't want to go, certain places I know I'm going to be pleased if I go. And I also think toilets are really interesting as well, in that who they bring together in so many ways, in that, you know, we can talk about who's this and who's that, but my sort of, I pass sometimes, and sometimes I don't pass, and I feel a great affiliation and connection at the moment with lots of other people whose bodies are being policed when they're trying to access toilets. Some of the people are a bit like me, very much like me in this way. I've, I've read stories recently, um, six months ago in Liverpool McDonald's, somebody goes to the toilet, is thought to be a young man in the toilet, two male security guards, my heroes, go in, remove this person, the person says, no, I should be in there, I should be in there. They're like, stop that sign. Actually, I wasn't there, so I'm, I shouldn't fabricate what they said. I don't know what they said. No idea if they said stop that something. That was just kind of, you know, we're going on from a scripted thing, acting it out. But anyway, basically, they removed the person. The person turns out to be a 17 year old cisgendered woman with short hair. So, you know, in this case, her hair meant that she wasn't allowed in that space, and that space was being policed. That's happening more and more often. The more we kind of tightly regulate who goes here and who goes there, the more that's going to happen. I have a, I suppose it's another thing I often say in training sessions, is that I sometimes think tra as trans people, as the concept of trans people, a trans person in space, a trans person, a family, and a group of friends and a group of colleagues, we're like a plop in a pool. And there are ripples that affect people. And one of the ways that we affect people, we're also like a block in a pool, but we're also a little bit like a spanner in a works, or a fly in an ointment, or various other, because we can make things that everyone thought, oh, this is fine, this is all great. And then suddenly a trans person's in the space, it's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. what are we gonna do now? And people talk about, is, you know, a trans person maybe makes the place not safe, or a trans person isn't safe in that place. And then you start saying, the place isn't safe. That's not safe then. And it, it makes you think about why are we just assuming that certain, you know, the doors, the toilet doors, even here you've got one, two, and the more segregated, the more doors. But anyway, we've got really exciting panellists to talk about this exciting subject. So I would like to introduce Dr. Francis Raywhite from the University of Westminster. Francis's interests here are in toilets as a site where cultural anxieties play out over gender, class, race, sexuality, age, and ability. Francis. Did I go? Yeah, I'm going to sit down. All right, and hello. So yeah, I called this Not Another Talk About Toilets. Um, when Jay asked me to do this talk, I thought, oh, there's a fraught and an emotional topic that has a high potential for offending people. I'd love to do it, yeah. <laughs> Um, and ever since then, I've had a kind of low-level anxiety. Like I'm literally shaking now. This is a, this has caused me a lot of anxiety about what to say about toilets um, on a number of levels. So first off, I I did not want to appear flippant or dismissive of this issue because as Jason was just alluding to, this is a very pressing, practical concern for trans people, and it's become symbolic of bigger questions around uh, trans rights and struggles over who is legitimately allowed to be a, a man or a woman or something else, all of which has been, you know, very much heightened over the last uh, months, years, over the GRA consultation in particular and the recent sort of um, declarations in the US. 
So, secondly, this is also an issue that's caught up in that whole political struggle over women's quote-unquote safety. And, you know, talking about it further can further reproduce and legitimate what I think are the false divisions drawn between the rights of women and the rights of trans folks. Thirdly, trans people are always fucking talking about toilets, like all the time. Or rather, we are being compelled to talk about toilets as if this was the most important or only thing that we are qualified to talk about, instead of, say, art, spaghetti, astrophysics, um, whatever. So, but here I am, another trans person talking about toilets, and possibly worse, a trans person talking about talking about toilets. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm going to try not to talk for long, that's not my strong point. Um, because I think we can have a more productive um, discussion about uh, the kind of practical aspects of making toilet spaces accessible for trans people with uh, the other people on the panel today. Um, but what I am going to do is to uh, offer some context for how public toilets have always been uh, sites at which cultural anxieties about social change are kind of played out. Um, and to argue that we need to reframe the issue in ways that mean that we as trans people don't get drawn into debating who should or shouldn't be in a toilet, or who really is trans and can use what toilet. In other words, we need to steer ourselves away from those paths that force us to debate heteropatriarchy on its own terms and in its own language. So, let's talk, uh, let's think about public toilets. So, I think public toilets are one of the few public spaces where people still expect to be gender segregated. Um, but this has definitely not always been the case. So prior to um, about the 1820s, public toilets were free-for-all public latrines. I'm sure that was lovely. Um, but as cities grew and public toilets were needed, they were constructed but only for men. Why? Because women were, did not wander around in public space needing to pee. They did it at home. But in not providing public toilets for women, their ability to be in public space was further restricted. So you could go out and not go, or you could not go out and go at home. And it wasn't until after the 1860s that women's public toilets began to appear, and it was you know, in the midst of mass, massive opposition. So people objected to women's public toilets on the grounds that, number one, they would sanction women's presence in public space, which was itself still not kind of where women were meant to be at that time. Secondly, pe people basically thought the idea of women's public toilets uh, was ridiculous and no woman would ever use it because it wasn't private enough. Um, and thirdly, uh, relatedly, people were fearful that women's public toilets would force middle-class women to mix with working-class women and threaten to make those women themselves, and the concern for only over middle-class women, uh, threatened to make those women public in the sense that people were worried that women's public toilets would become uh, brothels. So, this is happening at a similar time that scientific ideas about men and women. <laughs> My girlfriend also last night was like, I hate the way that the, the baby pee looks like a flower and a man's pee looks like a wave. Like... Anyway, um, don't let me do it, so, um, yes, this big kind of late mid 1800s is also the time when 
these kind of scientific ideas about men and women's sort of fixed and innate biological differences really start to take hold. And those were ideas which were then in turn used to cement this kind of division of public and private spheres and women's sort of justifying women's confinement to the private sphere. Um, and this explains the appearance at that time of all sorts of gender segregated spaces sort of within the public sphere, so things like waiting rooms, tea rooms either, even, as well as public toilets, as a way to kind of keep women private even as they started to leak in and into uh, the public. <laughs> so we start to see public toilet spaces being rigidly defined and policed and what started as an effort to keep women out of men's privileged spaces becomes more about the enforcing of separate spaces for the kind of privacy or protection of women. And this of course rests on the foundation that a, a single gender space is safe partly because there's a kind of heteronormative assumption under that that it will not be sexualised if it's single-sex space, but also rests on the same discourses of maleness and masculinity that have always been used to exclude women from the public sphere in the first place. So, right now, you've got your two genders slash toilets. Oh. And that works for everyone, right? I didn't even mean slash, is it? <laughs> I really tried to tone down with the wee jokes. <laughs> but wait, oh no, hold on. Uh, whoa, uh, two gents or three toilets? So um, does this suggest maybe other bodily differences or abilities might at some point override gender? As the most salient factor in deciding where you get to pee, I mean, surely not, two genders. Are disabled people therefore somehow outside the gender binary? I mean, I would like to make that argument that yes, they are, because the gender binary is built on some very kind of ableist ideas about the look and function of heteronormative bodies. Historically as well, toilets have not just been segregated by yeah, gender, so in apartheid South Africa, here, you'll notice all racialised categories defined in relation to whiteness rather than their own terms. And of course, in sort of um, segregation era US in the 1950s and 60s. And so although this may seem thankfully outdated or um, unacceptably racist to us now, but at the time in the US when public and workplace toilets were desegregated, there were protests, there were strikes. Um, against the move because white people wanted to maintain white supremacy and framed it around fears for their safety. So, as the t-shirts say, and you can get this t-shirt on Amazon of all places, um, it's not about bathrooms as it was never about water fountains. So, this poses the question of what it is about, and I think it's about purity and danger. Toilets, and maybe particularly public toilets, are sites where the threat of pollution is high because they are, they are places that literally deal with dirt, with matter out of place. They're sites that manage the kind of awkward moment when bodily boundaries are breached and things that were inside us come out and have to be quickly flushed away in order to maintain a kind of clean and proper body. Bodies that symbolically threaten purity, that blur boundaries or represent matter out of place, be they working class women's bodies in middle class women's toilet space, 
black bodies in segregation era US, or to an extent bodies that are disabled by the architecture of public toilets, have to be excluded to maintain the kind of social order. So in this way, what are then what trans bodies in a gender segregated space threaten to contaminate is a kind of gender purity, the presumed purity of the clean, the neat division of discrete categories of gender. So trans, non-binary, non-gender, non-conforming bodies crack that facade of binary gender, revealing some very deeply held and anxiety-inducing kind of liminal, indeterminate, in-between space that everybody is very busy pretending doesn't exist. Uh, man, woman, that's, that's your whole choices. So, what does it mean that trans folks have to spend a lot of time talking about toilets? Um, I think on one level it further associates us with filth, uh, with pollution, with plumbing. Um, and while part of me thinks that actually there might be some mileage in embracing that kind of negativity, rather than trying to convince people we're not filth because that's playing by their rules, and there are perhaps other concerns. So the intense focus on toilet spaces, specifically as the kind of um, epitome of rigidly gendered, surveyed and policed spaces, distracts us, I think, from thinking about how the space outside the toilet is equally rigid. We have almost been convinced that toilets are the problem, when in fact we are con consistently constrained by expectations of binary gender at every turn. So, in recent years, we have seen some uh, moves towards uh, degendering toilets. But ever the crank, I have problems with this as well. So this is, um, I didn't take this photo, I bought it from the internet, because I do like to take photos of toilet rides, but um, <laughs> uh, this one was, from the web. And this is Channel 4's for anyone toilets at their offices or whatever. Great, right? Okay. But this is still space marked by gender. Mm. And so, I oh, so personal bug that. I particularly hate this half man, half woman thing. Um, <laughs> um, and so, there are a lot of efforts being made to make uh, toilet spaces gender neutral. And however well meaning and kind of inclusive they are, they're still making going to the toilet something to do with gender, which was the problem in the first place. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is that we need toilet spaces that are toilet spaces and not gender spaces, uh, plus obviously the full destruction of compulsory binary gender. <laughs> Thank you very much, Francis. And now I'm really excited to introduce Cara English from Open Labs and also Gender Intelligence. And Open Labs seeks to map out all the gender neutral brackets unisex lose across the UK so non cis people can find out where they can eat, drink, and spend money without worrying about going to the loo. Cara English is a policy person and campaigner who has previously worked on funeral poverty and trans equality. Um, yeah, I'm obviously not going to be anywhere near as funny as Francis. Uh, so I'm not going to be as funny as Francis, I'm just going to be talking about my project, which is called Open Labs, and as Jason uh, said, it's just about mapping out all of the unisex loos across the UK, um, so that people know where they can go and freely have a night out, essentially. So, 
This is why uh, Open Labs came about. So um, transphobic hate crimes are skyrocketing over the past few years. Uh, so it's more, more important than ever. And obviously everyone has, everyone deserves to be able to participate in public life without fear. Um, a Stormwell report showed that 48% of trans Trans and non-binary people can feel comfortable using public loos uh, for fear of discrimination, which is an insane amount of people who, as um, was it Meg John mentioned earlier, are going to have trans bladders, so uh, risking your health um, through keeping urine in all day. Not, po not positive at all. Uh, so the world's largest survey of LGBT people um, the results of which came out this year from the UK government showed that there's up to a quarter of a million non-binary people just in the UK, um, which is about half of the non-cisgender non or trans umbrella, um, which is a massive amount of people whose physical needs are unrepresented when it comes to, when it comes to public life. So that's why Open Labs came about, so there's some information uh, for those people. Yeah, so as Jason mentioned, I work at Gender Intelligence. Um, I have non-binary friends, colleagues, family members. I myself am a, a trans woman um, who is frequently read as a male in, in female spaces. So I have borne the brand, what's the... Yeah, born <laughs> um, of, of that kind of discrimination. And um, whether, it, whether it be just like a nasty look or someone just been like get out it's it's never it's never positive that's that's why it's important and that's why i felt it important uh, to start this project um and working with a cis queer person uh, to help hone the messaging and find the funding for it because it is a bit expensive to try to develop a site especially when we have absolutely no expertise in it so what it is is um an online map for finding all the, all the unisex livers across all public businesses in the UK, so cafes, bars, etc. Um, and as Jason said, again, non-binary and trans people deserve to know where the customers welcome so they can eat, drink, work and play in peace. Um, and something that was also touched upon is that trans people are frequently the canary in the mine. So when transphobia is on the rise, it can be seen as like a precursor to the dissolution of women's rights, the dissolution of other minority rights. It goes hand in hand a lot with uh, the rise of fascism across Europe uh, and cisgender people are just as likely to be, to have their, their bodies policed going into these gendered spaces, these needlessly gendered spaces. So. Yeah, we all lose, essentially, when transphobia is allowed to ferment if everyone. Uh, so the map itself looks like this. Uh, you can click about um, in the local area or an area you're going to go to to find things before you go there. Um, you can search by postcode or address. You can search by category, which I'll get to in the next slide. Um, at the moment, it's mostly populated with places that I go to around my, around my house. So there's a huge glaring stretch along Shoreditch to Stoke Newington. Um, but there's been a wee trickle of people adding markers themselves. Thankfully, not just... Oh my God! No, I'm just Irish, I'm sorry. That wasn't intentional. I swear. Um, yeah, thankfully not just friends and family anymore. There has been a few markers added from, from other people as the word has got out. But, um, yeah. So, 
obviously people have intersecting needs. So if you, we recognize that people need accessibility info and baby change info. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned, they can search what kind of space it is. If you want to go to a cafe, there's that option. Um, something which was important to me as, um, as the founder and uh, the other person I worked with, Sarah, was that uh, <coughs> disabled lose aren't negated. So a big, yeah, big no-no for us was that it was being an explicitly accessible uh, disabled loo, and that being the unisex loo. So you know, disabled people work hard for those loos to be put there in the first place. And the last thing that we want to do is to try to detract from the work, <coughs> which was one tooth and nail, and, and, and monopolise those spaces for non-binary or trans people. Um, yeah, so that being said, it's still an option as a, as a category there, disabled loo only, for when there's no other option for people. Okay, uh, so if you go onto the site, which is openlabs.com, I probably should have mentioned that, um, you can submit a loo for review, and we'll check basic details, it's kind of the address, the website, we'll stick a wee bit of, in, like, sorry, stick a wee, <laughs> a wee bit of info in there about like, uh, what it has, so for example, I know the place I work, I stuck on, it's like a, a vegan cafe, it's like, does great vegan food and coffee, but also that it's a step to get into the, into the loo, so it's not fully accessible, etc, etc. But we're assuming that people know what they're doing, that there's going to be no malicious adding of markers by people who might want to see the project fail, which is a big assumption, but it's one that we kind of have to take with limited capacity at the moment. Um, we can do a wee... I'm so sorry for saying that. <laughs> um, we can do a small bit of detective work, but we can't really verify things 100%. So yeah, just running on the assumption that everything's there okay. Uh, so what next is that it's not going to be just a map, it's hopefully going to be a, a campaign tool or springboard for a campaign tool uh, for more unisex loos to be introduced across the board, across um, many more businesses in the UK. So yeah, we're going to stick out some social media content, hopefully get this thing a lot bigger. I have a video videographer lined up who's going to do some interviews with tra trans and non-binary people and why it's important. And we're thinking we're going to try to do within those, within like the cubicles, within those lures. In turn, that will hopefully incentivize others to follow suit. Because if, if one place, like, look, we're like the, the best uh, signatory to, the, to open labs, and we, we have so much more business from like trans and non-binary people, do you want this as well? And we're like, look what they're doing, follow suit. So this is how we're going to do it. Um, we recently got a small amount of funding um, in order to pay a non-binary web developer to make the site great, because as I say, they have absolutely no skills there. I've, I've, I've done a small bit on the site, but it's not looking great. Um, and big thank you to Edge Fund. Um, it's really daunting to present in front of so many other worthy causes. I don't know if anyone else knows about the Edge Fund, but they work. It's kind of like an anti-capitalist, intersectional approach to, to funding, and that's absolutely amazing. And the, the attendees there, so there were 15 other people, and we all voted for each other, and those were the most like chickpeas in our pods, one like the full funding. And it, that was that gave me a lot of hope that transphobia isn't completely rampant because there was it wasn't just dictated by a small panel, it was people around me who actually voted for open labs to get a small bit of money. So that money is gonna to go towards yeah, finding a web developer, um, designing some great public education materials and getting it out there, hopefully eventually turning open labs into an app. So what I need to do and what um, 
Sarah, my, my colleague in this project, needs to do is get the word out amongst trans and non-binary people that this thing exists, that it needs to be populated, and this is where to find us. So the site, we're on Twitter and Instagram, and that's me. Thank you. Great. Much, Cara. Um, so, our next guest, I'd like to introduce Irina Kornichuk from Faulkner Brown's Architects. How I met Irina, um, as part of my work with GI, I've been asked to go and deliver some training and also do some consultation with Faulkner Brown's in Newcastle. And it was really interesting to me. But first, I'll just say something about this idea of gender neutral toilets. So, I've been working with lots of organisations and they've said, so this is what sometimes people do. So you've got two spaces, and then they'll think about this and think, all right, what we'll do, let's make one of those a kind of everybody toilet. And then they'll look at the two spaces and they'll say, but hold on a minute, this one's got urinals. We can't really make that for everybody. Let's make this one for everybody. It's got cubicles. Yeah, we'll just change the sign. And then it's not surprising that people are saying, hey, hold on, wait a minute. That's not, that's not working, and that's not working for all sorts of groups for all sorts of reasons. So I was really interested in what, what can an architect's firm come up with, but also this idea of kind of intersections, who needs privacy and why they need privacy. And I'm really interested, and I suppose this is my sort of, my fundamental belief about trans and non-binary inclusion is that it has a positive effect on everybody. And that if it doesn't, I'm not interested in it. And that's, that's what I think is, was really exciting about hearing from an organisation who are looking at just that and looking at how do we make spaces work for everybody, not just a few. So, Maria, over to you. Thank you very much. So, I'm not going to bore you with all the design stuff, but just a little bit about us as folk Browns. We've been founded in 1962, and you can see there's quite a few middle-aged white men, not very diverse, but thank God I've changed over the years and we're a very diverse and cosmopolitan group of people now who are very keen to tackle some of the issues that, uh, of the contemporary society. So we work nationally and internationally and why what we do is relevant to these questions because we mostly work with public buildings and all those buildings you expect to attend pretty much every day of your lives. And as a part of our culture, we're very much looking at new ways of doing things and always trying to challenge something that's commonly perceived to be a normal, like with the toilets, for instance, and segregation of toilets. A lot of people will just go there by default and they will never question whether it's okay, it's not okay, and we'll just deal with it just because that's what we used to deal with for decades and, ha and hundreds of years, but I don't need to explain in your view what the problems with those spaces are and um, don't really need to highlight any of this. But what I would like to say uh, to thank you for is that trans community has been leading on their kind of this agenda of rethinking some of the spaces and really pushing us as designers to, to do better and to kind of maybe question some of the practices that has existed for hundreds of years. But with that, we kind of looked um, a little bit about this question a bit wider and realized that actually some of that impacts on the friends and family of, um, of users, as well as, as um, disabled people, as well as families. Those people do have quite different needs as well, and some of their other religions as well, and people with 
various preconceptions and uh, maybe different point of views. And actually, in fact, anybody who's got um, body confidence issues or any insecurities or any problems, so they don't quite feel comfortable and don't feel that they can fit in those spaces. So really, and we've kind of set this agenda in front of ourselves to redesign the inclusivity and rethink. So it's not only, quite traditionally it was all about disability, as, as it was quite rightly pointed out today. So now we're trying to think about it in a wider sense, trying to include everybody in those spaces. And why, why do we care and why, why we think it's important? Because every day we design buildings like this one, and this is a Derby Velodrome, which got uh, millions of users over, um, over the course of a year. That's another well, sports, big sports facility in Denmark. Again, that facility is built to bring up the next generation of athletes who, and a lot of them would be of minorities and different, again, different needs. All the way down to community leisure facilities. And in our practice, we do believe that sport is very important and everybody needs to have an access to it and be encouraged to use sport facilities. So by doing research and thinking about it, we realize actually it's relevant to a number of spaces and not just toilets. So something that we call washrooms, because we want to challenge the idea of a toilet to begin with, changing rooms as well, and segregation, changing rooms is a big issue, and swimming pools themselves and sort of privacy issues within swimming pools. Well, in fact, they're quite well, by doing the research, and this is a research from uh, a company called Splash Lab, there's an, a lot of data that people are not, uh, toilets are not suited for purpose, and a lot of the contemporary designs are just not working very well for us for a number of different reasons. And some of the key issues are, it's designed for segregation, which is a barrier. It's always designed with only one function in, in mind, Despite the fact that we do use those spaces for a number of different uh, uses, it's not just to go to the loo. And it's designed for in mind with average user, and it doesn't take in, in into consideration some of the very particular requirements that some of us might have. And the, I didn't actually want to dwell on toilets uh, that much today because we think that there are quite good solutions out there already to how to promote inclusivity in the washrooms. And we think it's all about um, a common space, it's about transparency, it's about passive security, it's about providing the privacy where it's needed and maybe opening the spaces where the privacy could be, uh, sort of, is not necessarily required. And so this is a very traditional kind of model of a toilet and this, um, the one to the other side is universal. In fact, you can even see that this, the quality of space is better and it takes less space as well, so it's kind of for, from our client's point of view, it does have uh, financial benefits as well. But we really wanted to challenge some of the changing environments. So we've done some, a little bit of primary research just to try to understand how, what the issues are in changing facilities and what the habits are in changing facilities. And this is some of the comments which we uh, sort of got from our, our research. And in fact, that the poor, poor design of changing facilities is a primary barrier to people doing sports, which we think is very unfortunate, and I think everybody needs to have an access to those facilities. And from a design point of view, we realize actually it's, it's probably simpler than we think, and if you go and look at the basics of what the, those facilities need, need to be designed for, it's designed for privacy, designed for dignity and experience, which does include safety, of course. 
So we kind of unpicked the whole changing model and we've uh, looked at what do you actually do in there and which spaces do require privacy and which ones or which activities might happen in semi-public space or where people might be comfortable being seen as, um, as, as they do all activities. Now this is just a very generic model where uh, you can see we've kind of moved away from gender assigned model and it's more about promoting transparency and creating a, a space, a place where people feel that they can belong. And to be honest, some of those models have existed in the swimming pools for quite some time, so it's a, a changing village kind of model, but they just didn't make its way to the dry, uh, dry sports facilities yet. So we're trying to change that. And the fundamental difference there is that you have to take shower in the same space that you're changing. In the swimming pool aspect, a little bit different because you in your swim costume and you can transition between spaces, between the wet space and dry space. So that's still quite a different model. So we've worked with uh, University of Portsmouth and I'm just going to talk a little bit about a couple of projects where we've looked at implementing this model and uh, we're really going to trial because it's, it's quite new for us and it's quite new for the industry that really haven't done that much before. So on this particular project, it's a sports facility with wet and dry provision. So we have a swimming pool and a sports hall, as well as fitness and studios and squash and ski simulator and all this other stuff. So, and our brief was a very traditional segregated changing environment. So that's, that's where we started with. And nobody, at that point in time, nobody ever questioned it. We just get on, got on with our job and said, well, this is how we do things. But then halfway through the project, Jason around and we thought, um, actually, maybe we should uh, rethink that and maybe we should start looking at those kind of those spaces from a different lens. And this is a model we moved to. Unfortunately, we couldn't quite make it all universal. We've uh, took a view to keep, because it's a transitional model, we took a view to preserve an element of female and male segregation because a lot of people are quite comfortable with those environments, in fact, prefer those environments. And we thought it's not about dictating people what they need to be doing, it's more about giving them a choice so they can have a freedom to decide which space do you want to use. And in terms of their offer that we've uh, designed here, so we do have a traditional segregated change environment with in individual cubicles within those spaces for additional privacy, but also the majority of that space is universal and accessible by anybody, and there is there's no kind of gender attached to those spaces. And uh, so the way the changing happens, we do have dry cubicles and wet cubicles, and that was really to try and drive the efficiencies of the activity that take place. We also looked at uh, kind of bringing uh, um, um, disabled users in, into the same environment and into the same experience and not trying to segregate them from any other spaces. But also community culture is quite important for the university, so we've um, kind of kept the team changing environments as an additional offer for people who would prefer that. So actually moving from one model to another, we've we could rationalize the circulation, we provided a lot more choice, and in fact in those spaces uh, which became a bit more inclusive, they were designed them to promote social interaction and to really keep people in their spaces and to make sure, sure that everybody's welcome and they can stay and chat, and not only with girlfriends, but with, with anybody who's there. There's just a couple of images of how that potentially might look like and something we call social violence, sort of those 
feature furnitures which keep people in those spaces. Now that's another project Britannia Leisure, and uh, I think that's somewhere in sort of that's in London. And unfortunately, on this project, we kind of looked at and the, the um, in to my understanding, it's not my project. I should admit that one of my colleagues is doing that project. Show who was supposed to be with me here today, but couldn't make it sadly. So the community in um, around that facility is very very diverse. So we had to uh, we had we to look and do, did some studies about trying to accommodate for the needs of very diverse people. In, and one of the tricks there in this project was it's a catering for different religions as well, which is sometimes religion is inherently promotes segregation, which is a bit gets a bit tricky. <laughs> so this is a theoretical model which we developed for that project, which goes all universal, and uh, there's no gender science spaces at all, which uh, unfortunately didn't go ahead because clients, we didn't get it uh, through the client permission. But that's how it would have looked like. So it's all about creating that inclusive space and kind of more open and transparent space in the middle. But what we have looked at in introducing in this project is um, privacy within a pool environment. And what allowed us to do that is there are two pools in the building. So one of which could be totally closed off for privacy and uh, dedicated changing facilities could be sort of attached to that for anybody to use who, who would prefer to use it in a communal group way and separate from uh, from any other general public within the swimming pool. Uh, and I think how it was mentioned before, we do think that we do need to rebrand some of those spaces and um, kind of contemporary communication of what toilets and changing facilities are and it really needs to change because I do find those things offensive as well. <laughs> and it's really, it should be as simple as uh, communicating an activity that happens within the space. It doesn't need to be about identity of the individuals who are uh, who needed to use them. It doesn't really matter who we are. It's it's more about what we're here to do. Uh, just to conclude a little bit, I think to be honest, what what you're doing here is um, really amazing, and I think it's kind of it's more about than trans more than trans people. I think it should really kind of communicate to be communicated wider because it does benefit so many other people as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And Una, I just wanted to sort of say something again about the language that you use at the architects that I was really interested in because when I was there, they were telling me that they'd done um, a survey with some users of changing facilities. They said, do you like gender-neutral changing facilities? And everyone said, no. They said, do you like communal changing facilities? And everyone said, no. So they said, do you like your own individual universal changing space? And people said, yes. And that word universal, I really like, because I think unisex has got the word sex in it, and gender neutral has got the word gender in it, and everyone knows sex and gender are these really complicated things, but universal. And I really like your kind of thinking about how this can work for different groups as well and be adaptable. You've been listening to the Transforming Spaces podcast. Our next conference will be running on the 15th and 16th of November 2019, so make sure to save the date and we'll let you know when tickets are up. I know I will. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. And if you want to continue this conversation or you have any points to add, we'd be really interested to hear your views. Um, so do please tweet us at... At Gender Intel. Ha <laughs> <laughs>